And um, to his left, we have uh, Senator uh, Carlos Uresti, and um, he has been um, in the Senate since uh, 2006 representing um, SD19, which is a huge geographical district, which you know, includes uh, um, slices of West Texas and, and South Texas. You know, it's based in San Antonio. Um, so he's a member of the Senate Finance, Health, and Human Services, and uh, Natural Resources, and Development uh, Committees. And he has a private uh, practice at University Law Firm in San Antonio. And he also spent nine years in the um, Texas House. And uh, to his left, we have our Representative uh, Brooks Landgraf. Um, he's a Republican from Odessa. Um, first elected relative newbie um, in 2014 um, to represent uh, District 81. Um, and he's on the uh, Energy Resources and, um, and Investment and Financial Services Committees and the Subcommittee on Bond Indebtedness. And uh, previously, he was an aide to uh, US Representative Joe Barton and represented energy producers and local businesses while working at Schaefer, Davis, O'Leary, <coughs> and Stoker Law Firm. And uh, to his left, we have uh, Don Timrek. He is the uh, city manager of Carnes City, which is in Carnes County, which is the biggest oil producer in Texas still, right? No, no one's uh, take, taking me all over yet. No brand. Um, <laughs> so, so he's got a really good perspective on, on uh, what's, what's, what's going on in, in South Texas. He um, became city manager um, in 2013, but he previously served as mayor, um, first elected in uh, 1989. That's uh, so a lot of institutional knowledge there. Um, prior to working for the city, um, you retired from Southwestern um, Bell Telephone Company, which is now AT&T, and he's the chairman of the Alamo Area Development Corporation and a board member of the Eagle Ford Consortium. Um, and um, last but certainly not least, we have um, Courtney Sharp. Um, he's the Midland City Manager, and um, he's been the chief executive there since 2008. And uh, while, while in office, he's obviously um, seen um, the, the effects of uh, rising and, and falling oil prices, but he's also uh, oversaw the city's largest public works project, which is a 70-mile water pipeline connecting Midland to T-Bar Ranch. Uh, previously, um, uh, Mr. Sharp was uh, the city manager for Mount Pleasant and assistant city manager for Canyon and served as president of the Texas City Management Association. So now that we got all that out of the way, you, you, you know our guests. Um, I guess my, my first question is, so we've sort of set, set up the situation here. Um, we had all these issues going on when uh, oil prices rose to huge levels. Now they're back down, like sliced <coughs> roughly in half. Um, I'm wondering, you know, if you, if you look just straight up at prices and you think about Texas's history, um, a lot of folks might just kind of assume all hell is breaking loose in, 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 in these, these, these drilling communities. I'm wondering if, if Mr. Sharp, you can talk about um, Midland right now. Um, I mean, is, are, are things as bad as, as folks who might not be there think they, they would be? Yeah, you know, if the boom's over, nobody's told us. Um, <laughs> I was talking to our superintendent uh, earlier in the week, and, and we had really anticipated losing some students um, uh, because of the, of the um, prices that, that had fallen. But there were actually 250 students up uh, mm -hmm. over this time last year, when, uh, and 2014 was really our peak. Um, and so we're not seeing, we're, we're still seeing uh, housing development. We've got one, um, a developer that's uh, currently constructing 150 homes, uh, and that's just one of about five big uh, housing developers that are uh, continuing to go. So, you know, when you look at uh, Midland, um, and we've traced it back ever since Midland was incorporated back in 1910, 
and you can look at uh, Midland's population grow, and it's always been a steady growth and, until you got to the 50s decade, and it was a tremendous uh, increase in population. And then you uh, can chart it to 2014, but you can also overlay the oil prices, and those oil prices go up and down, up and down, up and down, and you would always kind of assume that as the oil prices went up, you'd have a tremendous increase in population as it went down, you'd always have a, a tremendous uh, decrease in population. And when you look at that trend, Midland has never lost population. So we had to continue to build the houses, uh, we had to continue to build the roads, the water lines, the sewer lines, uh, because we know that uh, while today uh, the price is around $47, $48, uh, tomorrow they'll be back up and, and we'll still see that production. So again, we're not seeing the, the effects. Um, we have had some layoffs, but um, a lot of the companies, again, in 2013, 2014, when they were so busy, they were overhiring to begin with, uh, because if you saw one warm body, you, you would hire them. Uh, so we're seeing some of those uh, companies laying off some of those overhires, uh, but uh, as of today, um, we're, we're still seeing the boom. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. And, 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 and you're talking about boom as sort of an overall economic thrust versus, I mean, you do have some folks pulling out, right, but it's just, is, is, is the middle <coughs> economy a little bit more versatile than, than it has been maybe right. in the past? And we're, we're seeing, uh, you know, Midland uh, continues to have either the number one or number two lowest unemployment rate in the United States. And while that's something uh, good to brag about, uh, that does, uh, uh, it is very difficult. Uh, for an example, uh, our uh, folks that uh, we hire, uh, for an example, in the transportation department, uh, we require them to have CDLs. Well, it's very tough to compete um, uh, salary-wise with the oil field, so we're starting to see that uh, we're, we're at least getting some applicants to come uh, to the city. We're also seeing, because we had such low unemployment rate when we were uh, in the height of 2013-14, we'd have uh, national retailers or restaurants uh, that would want to come into Midland uh, to participate in, in the uh, booming economy, but they knew they couldn't find the employees. So now that our unemployment rate's um, going up just a little bit, uh, those, those national firms are starting mm -hmm. to get another interest in Midland. Sure, sure. And um, uh, Don Timrak, um, Carn City, you know, you, you talked about how um, it, it, you know, has been in one of the poorest areas of Texas um, before uh, the boom hit. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of folks were getting that mailbox money, these, these, these royalties when, when, it, when it did hit. Um, um, and, uh, you know, being set when, when they had very little before. Um, what, what, what about in Carn City? Are, are you experiencing um, uh, similar... Um, uh, I, I guess a similar relative um, calm uh, as Midland, um, you know, in, in a town that, that hadn't dealt with the boom before? Well, very much like the city of Midland. I, I remember sitting on a panel in, at UTSA last year with the mayor of Midland, and he's, he was kind of wondering why it was about Eagle Ford, but why is he here? And he was really there to, to let us know is that uh, Midland never got out of the oil business. They were continuing to produce. And uh, I think that was, uh, for us, sort of a, uh, a wake-up call to say, look, you need to look beyond today's frenzy. When, uh, when you read the paper, you listen to the pundits on TV, and they talk about the, the bust. It, it, the boom is still on. The frenzy is over. The chaos is behind us. As now we've started to settle in, 
uh, I knew, and, and I remember this because it was my birthday, June 20th of 2014, when we hit $107.26 a barrel. Never at any time did we think we could sustain that. You know, we know we're going to hit and we're going to spike and we're going to drop, but it's going to someday level off. And so the game for us was, what's it going to level off to? And, you know, we couldn't necessarily use Midland as the example, but we understood what they were telling us. We're not out of the oil business. So when you start as a spec on a radar screen, I mean, we had zero, virtually zero uh, production. Uh, anything is a boom to us. So oil could go to $20 a barrel, and we're still excited. But that's sort of saying wherever you stand is whether or not it's a boom or a bust. It's what you call it. Mm -hmm. If you look at the oil companies that maybe leveraged their production for 2015, um, and they leveraged it at, let's say, 70 they're pretty smart guys when it drops to 40. Right. But if it had stayed at 107, that wouldn't have been a real smart idea. So we, we look at um, what's going on around us, but concentrating on what, what is happening to us is that we still receive the mailbox money, sure, uh, but we have all of these infrastructure concerns that we had uh, at the beginning, today, tomorrow, they'll all be there, just as, as Courtney was saying. Um, we've experienced that and try to be a little bit smarter about it in saying is um, there is a after shale life. It's, you know, we want to be a sustainable economy beyond that. We don't want to necessarily depend on oil. Uh, in fact, for our city, we uh, just completed our October 1 budget and it was predicated on the traditional revenue streams. It had nothing to do with mineral rights or royalty interests. It just, it's avalorum tax some sales tax and whatnot. And so uh, we continue to do that. If you ask anyone in my town, we think we're still in the boom. Mm -hmm. um, when a few months back when uh, Comptroller Hagar uh, had lowered the um, tax rate for the state, right. we were up 28%. So it's, we're an anomaly. It's, it's kind of like, uh, I know Leodoro put a, a reporter on to me a couple of days ago, and she says, well, can you explain that? I said, I really don't. I, it, it, this is the numbers. These are the metrics. We are where we are. We know there's a contraction going on in, in the industry. We are a sweet spot, not by being smart, but just by that's where we are. Mm -hmm. And being that natural sweet spot in the contraction of the industry back to us, the example, um, we represent 20, or about 15 to 20% of the rigs in Eagle Ford Shell, up to September when we jumped to 30. Uh, today we're operating about 88 rigs in the shell play, and we have 23 of those. Right. And the nearest county to us is down at 11. So, it's not that we're smart. We can, we're smart enough to read the numbers, but you know, what do they mean to us? The boom is still a boom. If you ask the comptroller, he's going to say, well, as he did, he was uh, reducing his projections by, I think, 14%. And now he's reducing it by about 42%, saying that oil revenue is not going to be there. If you ask the state, they may say the boom is over. I don't know. But for us, the boom is still on. It impacts us every day. Um, I told Courtney, we're needing to build a new water tower. And we thought $600,000 would get that. Well, it comes in closer to a million, million three. Right. Yeah, well, now are we in a boom or bust? Well, that has nothing to do with it. We have to build water towers whether we're in boom or bust or not. Mm -hmm. But we have money from the mineral interest sure. set aside for capital improvements like that. So we're trying to just be smart about mm -hmm. it and still say we're in the boom. Yeah, and it's, it definitely seems like, you know, from a city planning aspect that y'all can, you know, uh, draw on the experiences of, of, of other towns like Midland, for instance, that, that's experienced the, the ups and downs um, of the volatile industry. But, you know, when it comes to dealing with your constituents, the folks who, um, you know, may not have 
you know, experienced a boom before. Uh, is there any sort of message you need to send out to tell them, you know, maybe budget conservatively, this isn't going to be here forever? Or is that something that they sort of inherently get, what would you say, Dan? It's, it's complicated because there's people that, that bought into it and became what we call punch drunk about it. And now they're struggling with how do I pay for that new big fancy truck or tractor or whatever because they thought it would continue to come in at $50,000 a month. And now it's down to five. Um, fiscal management it, it was a real issue for people that suddenly had wherewithal that they had never imagined they would possibly have. And you, 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 know, you want to get those things you never had, but you don't look about tomorrow. And then some people look at it and say, well, I didn't have it before, so if it goes away, I don't care. But while I got it, I'm going to spend the heck out of it. Mm -hmm. you know? and, and unfortunately, some cities did the same thing, right. is they went out and, and kind of got pretty deep into it and are now trying to sort their way back out. Yeah, and actually that's something I wanted to ask you, um, Leodoro, um, since you're um, you know, in, in a group that sort of has its eyes you know, on, on across a lot of cities. Can you talk about, um, are, are you seeing that that, that, that some cities are sort of have, have budgeted conservatively and you know, maybe not built 15 hotels right away that could be empty you know, in a few months? Um, are you seeing city managers and others sort of um, react to the, the boom and now bust uh, in different ways? And, and what's that look like? Well, I, I think both uh, both Don and Mr. Sharp have give you a pretty good idea of basically what's happening in, in uh, everywhere, in, in, in particular in the Eagle Ford show. That, but uh, I think that overall our communities and our leadership was, was smart about the way they've handled the, the revenue and the expenditure side of what the responsibilities were making sure that, uh, that as, as the money was coming in, that they uh, injected it back into the infrastructure needs in a timely manner. And by that, I mean that uh, avoiding long-term you know, type of indebtedness and, and getting themselves to a point where if at any point it was to end, there would be enough in reserve to, be, to cover all your costs. Mm -hmm. Overall, I think that they were real smart about that. Now, the one thing that's, that's absolute and this is probably the, the most important message is that, and when I say South Texas, understand that the impact that the oil and gas industry had through the Eagle Ford shell activities was beyond just the counties that were in the Eagle Ford. The neighboring counties, the other neighboring counties where your workforce came from, Bear County, for example, I mean, just that's where your workforce comes from. That, that's where a lot of the companies located. They're not part of the shell, but they, it, it was a huge impact. And I think that overall, it, 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 it's, when we look at it from a South Texas perspective, uh, knowing that historically our counties in South Texas have been uh, with high unemployment rates, mm -hmm. have had, you know, a, a lot of our counties, the, the median income was in poverty levels. And so knowing that, the one thing we know is that South Texas will never, ever be the same again, mm -hmm. just based on, on whatever the price of oil is right now. It'll never be the same because they increased from what it was before to what it is today based on whatever production is taking place and based on those responsibilities that come in trying to deal with infrastructure. Right now, most of our elected officials, most of our entities look at this opportunity and this, this pause that we have to be able to address the infrastructure needs, to be able to put their resources together. I call it uh, being able to do a sober analysis of where we've been. Mm -hmm. and, and what did we do right, what did we do wrong, and, 
and, and so it's an opportunity uh, from an infrastructure perspective, going back to what Don referred to, you know, the cost of construction had just skyrocketed. Well, now that there's a pause, it's a good opportunity for those costs to drop and for local entities to be able to, to get more for their money. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of issues like that that it's probably not totally bad that we're going through this mm -hmm. right now. But the one thing is that, that the communities will tell you it, it'll never be the same as it was. Mm -hmm. You know, in Catula, for example, who had two hotels, now they've got 28, you know, mm -hmm. is, a, mm -hmm. is a good example of that, regardless of what happens. And yes, there's some hotels that are looking emptier every day because of, you know, but, but in the overall picture, when you look at it from a revenue perspective, whether it's sales tax, whether it's hotel motel occupancy, whether it's revenues that they're getting from the tax base on, uh, uh, and mineral values also, that, you know, just the increase in that is never gonna be the same, and it'll never go back to that base that it was. Sure, and, and you know, I mean, um, you know, you, you're saying that for the most part, you know, communities were sort of aware of, 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 of what's going on and, and prepared, but um, I guess without necessarily calling out any out by name, but uh, could, could you talk a, a little bit about, you know, any um, city or county planning problems that, that you have observed, though, um, you know, uh, counties that, that maybe weren't ready for the, the fall off? Or? And, and uh, I don't want to contradict anything that's being said, but I, that I know of, I, I, I can't pick out a single community. Yeah. Unlike some other shale areas, like the Bakken mm -hmm. that got themselves sure. into long-term mm -hmm. uh, indebtedness issues, and now they're having something to do with in mm -hmm. refinancing. Uh, in the counties, and the, our stakeholders that are part of the consortium, the communities that are part of us, I haven't seen that. Mm -hmm. I think that the counties were particularly very smart in the way they dealt with it. Uh, some of them basically asked their taxpayers to, to support them by not, 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 not uh, making effective any rollback and let them keep the tax rate they had compared to the effective tax rate that they had to deal with. And they did that, and by doing so, they created a huge reserve and literally cashed themselves out in the infrastructure issues. They paid mm -hmm. cash. The other communities got themselves into the type of indebtedness that where they would have uh, no more than a four-year obligation. And every two years, they would introduce a new project. And as you know, the school district, one of the good things that we see is that a lot of our school districts now have uh, been able to address uh, new school buildings, I mean, just a lot of facilities that have to do with education that they would have never had to the opportunity to do if this had not happened. And then in the infrastructure, uh, a lot of the, the actual infrastructure that was water, wastewater, et cetera, streets, a lot of our communities, which is mostly rural, mm -hmm. the, the, the shell in itself is rurally based, uh, now have the opportunity. They're now, we're in a pause. They're now doing all this construction thing, catching up. And there's lesser traffic right now. It's a good time to kind of catch up. Mm -hmm. But they've been smart about it from that perspective. Yeah. And, uh, Senator Uresti, you know, with you, with your wide district, you know, um, yeah, you, you sort of oversee areas that are in, in the Eagleford and, and in the Permian Basin. Does that kind of square with what you're seeing, or, or have you, you know, had um, either, you know, city officials that are your constituents or, or, or others um, come to you and, and say, hey, we're really hurting now, or are you sort of seeing the same thing? Well, I am. I, I think to follow on what Leo Doro said, it, first of all, I was out in Odessa a couple of weeks ago, and you wouldn't think anything has slowed down whatsoever. I mean, it's, it's tremendous, the activity that's going on out there. You know, further south, and, uh, in the Eagle Ford area, it has slowed. Mm -hmm. um, 
But I think to echo what has been said, early on in, when the boom began, the, the counties, the cities were optimistic, but they were cautiously optimistic. And they, so they didn't just jump in and start spending money. I think you know, everybody was a little more uh, cautious, mm -hmm. which I think um, turned out to, to pay off considerably. They didn't get into, in, into large amounts of, of debt. Um, there are some challenges that have presented themselves, but what I've said all along, even before, is those challenges uh, turn themselves into opportunities. Mm -hmm. And I think now's the time for the different counties and cities to look at their the infrastructure at the roads, et cetera, that are still in disrepair, that need to be repaired. And, and perhaps with the costs of construction going down, uh, it's a great opportunity for them to address those issues in hopes that things will continue to move forward and, and the price of oil will rebound from $47. And I don't know that I'll ever get up to 107 again. That would be great, I think, but somewhere in, in the middle, perhaps. Mm -hmm. So I've, I've heard it I've, from another perspective as well. You know, as an attorney, I have different clients that, that operate um, in the Eagle Ford and in the Permian, and some have had some serious challenges. But I think for those that were flexible, that were nimble, that ran efficient uh, companies and budgets, were able to ad adapt and able to adjust, and they will continue to survive. Mm -hmm. And uh, Representative Landgraf, um, and I just wanted to pick up uh, on, on something that uh, Senator Uresi said about um, you know making sure that this is a time you know when it's slowed down to you know invest in the infrastructure, invest in the roads. Um, I'm, I'm particularly interested um, in, in the road issue. Um, the University of, of, of Tech, uh, Te or Texas A&M recently put out a study that very kind of closely linked. It looked back at um, uh, uh, oil and gas drilling data um, from different eras, kind of before, the, right before the boom hit um, in, in different areas of the state, and then sort of right after. And it really t closely tied um, um, traffic deaths and um, you know, commercial vehicle accidents to um, the ebb and flow um, of oil and gas development. And it's, it's actually some pretty startling figures and you know, the, the amount of you know, extra deaths that happen and, and also the amount of you know, extra costs. I think it was in, um, uh, I, I think it was in, in, in South Texas, in the Eagleford region, you know, the, the cost of some of these accidents, you know, increased like 100% um, from like 2009 to, to 2013. Wondering, like, you know, issues like that, you know, we, we have a little while to go before we're back in session. Um, but I guess my, my first question is, did, did the legislature not do enough last session to address the road issue um, and, and some of the associated issues? And, and will, in this downtime, will there be enough momentum to actually get those things done, even if the roads maybe aren't as crowded as, as, as they have right. been in, in, right. in past years? Well, no, I think uh, that, that Texas A&M study uh, is, is very accurate based on, I think, our observations, uh, it, especially in recent years. I think there is absolutely a direct correlation between drilling activity uh, and traffic fatalities on, on Texas highways. Uh, I, I think that's something that, that we've known for a while. Uh, as far as what we did during the last legislative session to help address that, I think we've taken some very positive steps in that direction. Uh, certainly putting uh, Proposition 7 to the voters uh, next month uh, can help alleviate some of those concerns. Uh, but it, it's how we, uh, how we address some of the specific uh, concerns in the oil patch. And I think we do have quite a bit of work to do that. But as Senator Uresti, uh, mentioned, and, and I think a few others here on the panel, uh, this is absolutely prime time to address some of those concerns. And I think 
Uh, probably uh, the chief reason is that you can really take advantage of decreased labor costs in the energy producing areas uh, to actually get some of the infrastructure work uh, done. And this is, I mean, this really is the time to do it. Uh, you know, uh, speaking of Texas A&M, Kyle Field was just uh, underwent a two a two year renovation, but that was all done in the off season, not while football is being played. Uh, right now, I, I kind of see us as being in somewhat of an off season in the uh, in the industry, and so this is when we need to get our house in order mm -hmm. and make those improvements so that we're ready to capitalize on the next boom when it comes, and inevitably it will. Mm -hmm. and, and 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 either you, Representative Landgraf, or, or Senator Uresti, um, uh, you know we. You know, the, the next session isn't until 2017. Is there anything that, that, that lawmakers can do now, or do we really just kind of have to wait until the money is, is, is allocated? Or, or I guess, what, what are the answers for the roads? Like, what, what more needs to be done, and, and what can we do now versus waiting for? Well, I think what, what Jim with TxDOT has done in the past is they've identified certain highways and roads, et cetera, that, that are in, in higher disrepair, mm -hmm. um, coupled with the traffic, et cetera. Uh, and so I think that needs to continue. Maybe they reassess it, mm -hmm. considering what, what's happening now. And then to prepare for the next legislative session with Proposition 7, hopefully that will pass, that will infuse a, a large number of, of dollars into the system. And we build on that. I mean, that's the way our legislature um, has operated uh, from the get-go. So um, that's just mm -hmm. kind of the way it works. But again, it gives us, it's a, it's a break, if you will, a time to reassess. Mm -hmm. Uh, the situation, and then be ready come January 2017. Sure. And I think one other thing that we can do uh, during the remainder of the interim is is uh, begin making those plans, but also I think we've had uh, an opportunity to work with uh, some of the operators in the industry. I was actually just in Reeves County, which is in Senator uh, Uresti's district, uh, a couple of months ago. Actually, I was going up to climb Guadalupe Peak and went to get breakfast in Pecos and took Highway 285 up to Orla, which is right in the middle of the Delaware Basin. It, it's an area that even at, uh, with low oil prices, there's a tremendous amount of drilling activity going on. But Highway 285, which is a, a federal highway, has been reduced almost to a, a caliche road because uh, the traffic is, is still so heavy. It's gotten to be so bad, and the fatalities have risen so much that there are uh, private operators within the industry uh, that have approached, I believe, both of our offices to work with TxDOT uh, and they're willing to put up a little bit of money themselves just to improve the infrastructure mm -hmm. in those high traffic areas. I think if we can take advantage of opportunities like that while planning for a larger plan moving into the legislative session, we can really make a positive impact. Mm -hmm. Great. And I want to um, go back to y'all down there, um, um, since you haven't gotten a chance uh, in a while. I, I'm wondering, you know, you, you're painting a picture of, you know, still, you know, relative calm, resetting, um, that kind of thing. But I'm wondering, you know, is, is there any point at which, you know, um, uh, you know Texas is still, or, or the nation is still producing a lot of oil um, just because of the nature of fracking and, um, you, know, you know, fewer new wells, but, but you know, the, the production is still relatively high and, and so it seems like prices are going to be low for, for a while. I mean, is there some point at which, you know, if prices stay too low for too long that you might be changing your tune or some point that you're, you're, you're watching right now? Um, I guess I'll, I'll go to you first, uh, yeah. Courtney. You know, naturally, if, if it um, goes down below the, the $40 mark, get into the 30s, even the 20s, uh, we'll, we'll start getting nervous. But um, what we're seeing now, you know, back in the 80s when there was a tremendous bust um, and it had a, a very negative effect on the Permian Basin, 
you saw a lot of those oil companies were financed through the, the banks. And so the banks, the federal government put pressure on the banks to, to uh, call uh, most of the loans, and that's why you saw a lot of bankruptcies and a lot of layoffs. This go around, we're seeing that while there are some investments from the banks, it's, it's primarily that venture capital that uh, is funding uh, most of the production. And they're not uh, regulated uh, like the federal banks or like the banks are to, to call those loans. So it's a wait and see uh, at this point in time. And um, it's one of those that uh, if you, if you, uh, you can either pull the trigger too fast and, and uh, lose money or you can sit and wait too long uh, before, so it's one of those crystal ball questions: is uh, where where exactly is the the, the price is going to uh, fall? But um, you know, naturally, again, um, even if it does fall, the Permian Basin is so mature uh, from a infrastructure from an oil infrastructure standpoint that it will be uh, painful on us, but it won't be detrimental uh, to the effect that uh, we'll start losing population and. Uh, start losing uh, the revenue to, to uh, fund the operations mm -hmm. like we need. Um, what about you, Dan? I mean, I know you've talked about um, even already even looking at, at what current city is going to look like post-boom and trying to basically, you know, budget without thinking of oil revenue and, and uh, maybe sort of saving up for, for projects that you can, like, gradually work on. Are, 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 are you seeing a point where you might start worrying that, that, that you know, oil money, you know, won't be there? Or, or, or do you feel like You've, you've had enough time already to sort of save up for a lot of the things you, you, you had wanted to be doing, you know, over the past few years, but maybe couldn't in, in the past. Well, we are a community that was used to doing without. I mean, we almost live like anybody else, paycheck to paycheck as a government. So all of this is, is manna from heaven as far as we're concerned. Uh, all of our mineral uh, royalty payments go into a capital improvement fund or an asset replacement fund. Nothing gets into the general fund. We operate a city is if the oil industry doesn't exist to us. Uh, so if it were to go away, we're going to go ahead and operate as we always have. We live within our means, which is a, a budget that was predicated on strictly ad valorem and the traditional uh, revenue streams. Um, we, we keep an eye on what goes on around us and, and always think, boy, there's, there's something special around the corner. If the House is already talking about lifting the ban on the export of crude, wow, what happens if the Senate goes along with this? That's great for us. Um, the, not necessarily a loophole, but the uh, export of condensate that goes on. Well, why we are a sweet spot is we have the full product line. We've got the crude, we've got the gas, we've got the condensate. So we've always got something from our area to put out into the marketplace. So it just seems like we have a natural hedge against ever feeling any ill effects. We will, and I've said it from the beginning because our operator said it to me, and he says that, Based upon where you are, you'll be the last to feel the pinch, if you will, but you'll be the first to feel the recovery. So we sort of put some stock into that of saying, yeah, we're strategically located. Uh, we, we have what the world wants. Um, we are uh, geographically located well between the number one and number three vacation destinations <laughs> in the state, Corpus Christi and San Antonio. There's just so many positives. So we, we try to act like the smart guys and, and say, okay, we see beyond all this. We are going to be a place you want to be, whether there's oil or not. Mm -hmm. uh, because we do remember, there was a time, if we had 30 barrels of production a day or even in a month, nobody knew about it, nobody cared. So if we go back to that, we go back to being who we were. 
You know? mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. um, it's, it's difficult to, to not want to dream big and, and just go out and grab on, you know, this is our time, this is our season, but we've got to be a little bit more pragmatic about it. Yeah, we're going to build some new buildings. We're going to buy some new street equipment. We're going to put up a water tower, whether it costs a million dollars or not. Because we also answer to a higher power in Austin. Mm -hmm. And if they say that you're at capacity, you're going to do this, then by God, we're going to do that. So fortunately, we've got some of the wherewithal to get that accomplished. Mm -hmm. But we don't want to do it too fast because then people think that we are living beyond our means. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Leodoro, I know that you mentioned before that you, you, don't really, you haven't really seen communities that have just blown it in terms of you know, community planning or anything. But I am wondering, you know, for those that are maybe not as situated as... Uh, as sweetly as, as, as Karn City is, right. um, is, is there some point where you, you really do start to wonder where, you know, um, that, you know, the, the companies that have sort of set up more semi-permanent bases might start pulling out and, and start really causing some troubles? And what, Absolutely. We're already seeing some of that. My point was that it'll never be the same as it was, mm -hmm. but absolutely we've seen uh, some of our communities have taken, we saw for the first time at the end of August, for example, where we, uh, we saw the, uh, some of our municipalities take a, a hit on the sales tax mm -hmm. compared to the 2014 August results, and they were significant. Uh, we've seen uh, one of the things that I think is an earlier question that you, that you, uh, you alluded to is uh, the state of Texas is, is one, of, we're one of the shell areas in the country that doesn't have a formula, doesn't have a system that gives back from the resources that are recovered from the energy producing counties that gives back enough resources for them to address uh, infrastructure needs that are s severely damaged. When I say severely, I think one of the things that we need to, to have so we can present to the legislators is a, is a factual database mm -hmm. of the actual impact that's happened in our counties so they can work with that to be able to address that. Uh, I, I don't ever anticipate that there'll be a formula that's that kind of uh, specifically uh, points out and just uh, gives, gives uh, some of the resources back to the energy producing counties, but it's something, it's something that they can work with. So there'll be uh, enough information to know uh, just how heavy the impact mm -hmm. is. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that we, in the interim, that we'd like to see is, from the consortium side, is to be able to facilitate that, mm -hmm. to be able to put that forth so, we, so they can have the information to work with. And I'm not just talking about Eagle Ford. I'm talking about all the, 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 all the mm -hmm. shale areas in the state of Texas to be able to identify that. But we are seeing uh, some of our, some of our uh, uh, we've, we've seen the reduction in hotel motel occupancy. Mm -hmm. We've seen the reduction in sales tax. And of course, the production, the production, the mineral production levels have, have fallen. And uh, most of our entities, as Don alluded to, they're just adopting the new budget for the coming year. And I think in those numbers, there's a, they're, being, they're using uh, uh, new numbers to be able to see. You're going to see that they're adopting a lesser budget mm -hmm. than the year before, just based on, on sure. those type of revenues. So yeah, I mean, absolutely, we're seeing it. But there's one of the things that, on the southern part of the Eagle Ford Shale, that is still a positive thing is that what we're seeing happen in the, in the ports, for example, the LNG plants, that are being built on the ports. And the possibility of the, of the increase in production and all the activity is gonna come out of the gas mm -hmm. to be able to feed those, to, to be able to feed, 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 uh, feed those uh, 
LNG plants, is a, a couple in Brownsville, there's a big one, Chenier one in, in, in Corpus Christi, mm -hmm. and so on and so on. We're seeing, every day we're seeing contracts being agreed upon between Mexico, Mexican companies, and Texas companies where we're, we're building these pipelines that are, that we're now sending a lot of our natural gas to Mexico. All these are signs for the midstream. The midstream activity is not lessening. Pipelines are being built every day. These are people that come and live in our communities. Those are the people that stay mm -hmm. in your hotels. Those are the people that buy, in the, uh, go to your restaurants. And as that increases, it gives time for the oil price mm -hmm. to go up. We think there's a good mixture there. The Mexican energy reform is sure. starting to take shape. It's kind of been held back a couple of years because of the price. But when that comes into place, the southern part of the shell, the western, is going to be, I think, heavily involved with that also just because of the location. And when you combine all those things, we, we think that it's an ongoing activity type that, uh, that's going to benefit the communities from, from, from the perspective of revenues and, and, and the type of production numbers that mm -hmm. we're going to see. But it's going to be on the gas side sure. until the price of oil goes up. But to your question, yes, our communities are feeling the pains right now. And, and, and that's a, I'm really glad that you brought up the gas issue because, um, um, and, and, and a lot of the reasons why there's, um, you know, growing demand for, for I mean, we, we, we've had, um, you know, a glut of natural gas for so long, gas prices have been so, so, so low um, for so long, um, but you're mentioning, you know, um, you know demand for, for uh, gas on the ports that, that, that will be shipped out. Um, also, there's this kind of transformation going on in the energy sector now with, uh, you might have heard, like the Clean Power Plan, which um, um, Texas is weighing its response to that, but, you know, basically the idea is shift from from coal to natural gas and renewables, so more demand there. Uh, I'm wondering, um, 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 Senator, you know, is, is that kind of uh, an untold story here? We're so focused on oil prices that, you know, gas prices eventually might start creeping up. And, and I, I do hear, too, that uh, the Railroad Commission is, has, has been certifying um, or sort of reclassifying more um, oil wells as natural gas wells. There's a ship there. Is that, is that something that we should be talking about? Absolutely. In last session, um, I had a bill that I filed and the representative helped me with as, as well that would, would mandate that our state fleet be converted over to natural gas over a, a period of, of 10 years or so. We would use the money from the TURP balance. We have $850 million or so just sitting there. Um, we would pull down about 3% of that in order to, um, to pay for that incremental difference mm -hmm. between uh, the vehicle converting over to uh, a natural gas vehicle. It, it, almost passed. It passed the Senate, went over to the House, and, and it died, I think, in, in calendars. Yeah. But we're going to work on that again this next mm -hmm. legislative session. We can't put all our eggs in one basket. And I think this would have been, it's not you know, the, the total solution to the problem, but it certainly helps us continue to move in that direction. And so that's something that I'll, I'll, I'll refile, work with the Lieutenant, Gover Lieutenant Governor Patrick on that this last session. So I'm optimistic that we can move that forward. Mm -hmm. And I think mm -hmm. now, in, in, in hindsight, um, most folks probably wish we had passed that bill. Uh, sure. Yeah, and that, that was one of those interesting ones that both, I, I, I wrote about it, you can find that story at the Texas Tribune. <laughs> uh, one of those interesting ones that everyone seemed to support it, but uh, there was some interesting political squabbling that, that killed that, uh, you know, in a legislature that's more apt at killing bills than, than passing them. Exactly. Um, uh, we are actually, I will ask one more question, and then if, if, if you all have questions, start you know, maybe creeping up to the microphone because we've got about uh, 15 minutes left uh, for you to ask those. Um, the one thing I did want to touch on, you know, we haven't talked about, you know, environmental issues and obviously whenever you're talking about uh, drilling and, and so forth, those are, you know, 
re really important. Um, one issue that seemed to gain a lot of attention right before the last session, but seemed to then get no attention during the session, is the issue of, of flaring. The idea of you know the the, the natural gas that you, that you can't harness that's um, coming out of the oil wells. Um, and there's there's no infrastructure to transport it. You know it's being burned off and. And uh, there's a, a lot of uh, you know volatile organic compounds that are you know escaping those flares. Lots lots of flares when when, when I drive out to, to, to West Texas, especially. Um, I'm wondering if, if issues like that, if issues like flaring in the interim, is is there no chance that 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 they will actually get addressed because there's concern about the economics of the industry and concern about scaring off more oil producers, or or is there some mechanism to to come back and, and see if there's something that that the um, Legislator should, should should do about it. Um, I'd be interested in e e either of you, Representative Landgraf or, or Senator Uresti. Well, I, from uh, from the Permian Basin perspective, as far as flaring is concerned, I mean it, it's it's more uh, common out in our neck of the woods, just because uh, some of those fields are so uh, so mature and have been pr producing for so long that flaring technology, you know, which uh, really hit its prime in the 40s and 50s. I mean, some of those wells are still producing, and, and uh, but you know the newer uh, the newer production in the Eagle Ford, for example, and, the, and some of the newer production in the Permian Basin doesn't have that. That you know, it's uh, you know, we're only flaring when we absolutely have to, or when it's been uh, when it's been necessary in the past. So I think it's uh, an issue that's largely going away just on its own life cycle. Uh, but uh, that's really been the uh, you know that that's certainly the perspective that we have. I think mm -hmm. out out in in West Texas. Any thoughts about that, or or just the the general idea of you know um, you know air emissions from um, drilling fields, those types of things, or you know um, taking concerns, um, you know what, what, whether or not they're you know contributing to ozone problems, you know around San Antonio. Is, is there any chance that the, the legislature is going to you know take up these issues during a time where we might still be in down times uh, come 2017? Well, I think it'll be an issue that will be discussed. I know San Antonio was, is very concerned mm -hmm. about it because. Uh, of the fact that they're near non-attainment, mm -hmm. uh, and they have been for some time. Some would argue that they are already um, uh, not in attainment. But uh, so I think it's a discussion that we we've talked about a little bit, quite frankly. But it needs further discussion mm -hmm. as we move forward. And um, I don't think it's one of the charges uh, for the interim. No. Uh, but doesn't mean that that discussion can't take place, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it should. Well, I want to open it up to questions. Is, is there anybody out there that has questions if they want to creep up to the, to the mic? Have, have, have I think we, they're asleep. <laughs> have we fully answered the question for you of whether the boom is, uh, is over? Um, OK, great. Um, well, I will keep asking some <laughs> questions then to, to, um, you know, to, to, to finish it out. Um, uh, um, Courtney, you know, I'm I'm wondering, um, you know, on, on the environmental side, um, are are there issues, um, you know, uh, I guess bringing up the issues of disposal wells have have gotten a, a fair amount of attention recently, and you know, um, you know, the uh, scientific linkage to some of the small earthquakes that are that are shaking and everything, uh, but there also, um, you know, has been an issue with concerns about. Um, um, Long-term um, groundwater quality and things like that. Are you seeing any any issue, issues out out near Midland uh, on on the uh, disposal well front? And th those are the wells uh, for those of you initiated where where the uh, the liquid waste um, from the um, um, the wells um, is injected at high pressures deep underground and sort of stored in in um, um, 
brackish water aquifers, uh, but sometimes there have been some issues, some, some issues and questions about uh, uh, water, you know, either, either spills or contamination. Are, are you seeing issues out there in, in Midland? Yes and no. We had a, uh, actually a, an issue uh, whenever we developed what we call our T-bar uh, field uh, that had a, um, a contamination that uh, we're having the, the company uh, clean up. But you know, being out in West Texas, uh, there's not uh, very many lakes mm -hmm. um, out in West Texas to, to draw water, so we had to draw it uh, from groundwater. So we are uh, always uh, concerned about uh, groundwater, groundwater contamination. The, the good thing is generally the water aquifers are at a very different level than what mm -hmm. the injections uh, wells are. Uh, so we don't see uh, too much of the um, issues. We are working uh, not to put a plug in for, uh, for a company, but uh, we're seeing a lot of the companies that, um, you know, we always think of the big bad uh, oil companies, but they are very uh, environmentally conscious. And um, for an example, Pioneer Natural Resources, um, Midland, since we're in a semi-arid uh, climate, we actually take our wastewater and do minimal treatment to it uh, and then irrigate uh, with it. Pioneer uh, wants to purchase that wastewater from us. Uh, in order to do that, we've got a uh, converter plant uh, and they're gonna spend about 120 million uh, to convert our wastewater plant so that they can, uh, we can treat the water to uh, a, a level that uh, we can sell to them and then they'll use that for the fracking purposes. Mm -hmm. So. We, um, you know, whether it's Pioneer or uh, any of the other companies, um, they live there out in West Texas too. Mm -hmm. They know that uh, the, the water source is groundwater. They're very conscientious about uh, making sure that uh, they're not contaminating it mm -hmm. for, for future use. And uh, I do wonder, I, 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 uh, I told these guys I wouldn't throw many jump ball questions for them to grab, grab onto, but you know, one um, um, question I have that just sort of popped up into my mind, you know, Y'all have sort of mentioned about how communities are kind of taking time to, to breathe, to reset, to address infrastructure issues that came up during the, the frenzy. Uh, I am wondering though, because there, there's a whole lot of really exciting things, like, like you were mentioning with Pioneer, and it sounds like that deal's close to being done. Um, um, but you know, there's lots of like really exciting um, uh, research and, and, and projects being proposed ab about um, water use and, and, and you know, more environmentally responsible drilling, that type of thing. Is there any, Threat right now, um, you know, with um, with operators more conscious about the bottom line, and you know, they're laying off folks. That that some of those more innovative technologies, you know, are are, are those efforts going to be pausing too, as as y'all are 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 breathing, you know, take time to breathe. Um, I don't I don't think so. I I'd like with um, uh, Midland, for probably the last three, three and a half years, we've been selling our affluent out of our sewer plant to a company. It was one of the first projects that, that was attempted in the shale plant. And um, it's sort of a win-win because we're conserving what I can saw, uh, consider our blue water. We, we're in one of the most prolific aquifers, the uh, Eagle, I mean the uh, Carriza Wilcox. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were concerned about um, a couple things. Is one, could they drain it down? Mm -hmm. Two, could they damage it? you know, through injection wells and whatnot. Uh, my concern was always, we've never damaged one, so I don't know if we know how or have the technology to repair an okay. aquifer, okay. but um, they're very, uh, very cautious about protecting it as well as we are about uh, protecting it. The, uh, the sale of the affluent, like I said, is, is it, it comes out of our plant 
perfect for fracking. So we've been able to conserve, um, and they've looked at other means about uh, making things more um, cost effective. They haven't backed away from that. That was one of the, the things about coming back to our area is they've got <coughs> some measures in place that work well for okay. us at a very cost effective rate. All right. and, and we do have some questions now. I'll, I'll start on this side. Hi, my name is Ginger and I'm with the Texas Higher Education Coordinating Board and we notice in our enrollments that as oil productions go up in your areas, enrollments go down and then vice versa. And that just has me thinking, um, what, as you're in this sort of downtime to focus on infrastructure, what, if any, social issues can you also, or are you also having to grapple with in the in-between? And I, I truly don't know anything about this, so I'm just curious. I mean, is there any, any um, social aftermath of, of the boom? That's a great question. Anyone want to grab that? Um, for, for Midland, and again, we were anticipating our enrollments to go down uh, the school year, and it's actually went up about 250 uh, students. But I don't know, you know, from a um, social standpoint, I don't know that we're seeing anything that we didn't see before the boom. Um, you know, we still have our issues. Mid if you're not familiar with Midland, uh, there's, I, I say there's rich people, then there's Midland rich people. But there's also some very, um, there's a big difference between Midland rich people and then some folks in Midland that don't have uh, the resources. So there's always been that struggle. Uh, but, um, and I don't want to think I've uh, got rose-colored glasses on, but I don't see anything that, that was spotlighted because of, because of the recent boom or, or uh, was spotlighted because of the downturn. Jim, let me take this one. We, in, in Carnes County, we have four independent school districts, and all four floated bonds to build new schools. The, the price of oil didn't seem to change the, the enrollment. It didn't seem to drive it down as the price came down. Uh, as they began to pull back to area, our enrollments come up. And what it's created, and you talked about the social aspect, the fabric of a community is, is all the infrastructure, not just the water, the sewer, the streets, the things we think of when we talk infrastructure. Part of that social infrastructure is the educational community, the medical community. And what we found was happening is we needed more teachers, more coaches, and so we built more houses so they could bring coaches and teachers in, which just brought more people in. And that's, that little cycle in itself continued to the point that oh my God, we've got all the coaches and teachers and all the students, we just don't have a school for them, so we build a school. So while that's going on, that also affected the medical community. Well, we got all these people, coaches, teachers, students, we need more hospital. Well, so now the hospital floats a bond and you know, here we are building a new hospital. It's, it's a, Eagle Ford is a, a, a blessing and a curse. It's, we basically just trade one problem for another and it found its way into our educational arena and into our medical. Uh, yeah, I can comment on uh, UT Permian Basin, the, the UT branch in Odessa obviously has historically been impacted, and, and I think you're right, there is a, you know, an inverse relationship between uh, oil and gas uh, production and enrollment, at, uh, particularly at higher ed institutions. Uh, but UTPB, throughout, the, uh, throughout this latest boom, has actually begun to defy that trend. Uh, in 2015, they have record enrollment there. Uh, Odessa College, a community college uh, just on the other side of, of town, has seen record enrollment 
each semester for the last uh, seven semesters, I believe. So uh, we're starting to see a difference in that, but it's still difficult to do that because uh, in the middle of a boom, you will actually have recruiters from some companies who go on campus uh, you know, to recruit students because that's a, you know, obviously a great uh, you know, workforce to uh, you know, hotbed for, uh, for labor and things like that. But, uh, but that trend, I think, at least in the Permian Basin, is starting to change a little bit. Okay. We will go to this uh, last question over here. Uh, yeah, thanks for your time. Uh, so in North Dakota, specifically in Williston, we're starting to see local government policies where they're pushing out oil field uh, workforce housing providers in an effort to increase hotel occupancy and things like that. And this question really is for Mr. Sharp and Mr. Timerick. Uh, have you heard murmurs uh, within your local governments and is there any sort of plans to do something similar in this annexing of uh, workforce housing providers? Yep. Midland, and again, since Midland is mature in, in this oil um, play, we didn't allow uh, band, what we call man camps uh, inside the city limits. We were, um, in 2011, when we started seeing uh, the boom um, uh, increase or, or get started, <coughs> I was quoted in the newspaper saying we're probably about 5,000 housing units. Uh, shy, and so that's why we saw the uh, hotels uh, being used as, as um, um, temporary uh, housing. In Midland, um, I hate to admit this, but in Midland, uh, as of last summer, they've come down, but during the weekday, the average cost of a hotel was $320 a night. Um, and that's just your run-of-the-mill uh, hotel. So, But our housing has started to catch up, our apartments uh, have started to catch up, but. Uh, we have never, again, we want to make sure that, uh, as has been mentioned, um, even though it's, we're in a boom uh, cycle, we want to see what, uh, we want to make sure that we're uh, planning for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years from now. We don't want substandard housing uh, in Midland. Uh, we don't want substandard apartments that are going to be a drain uh, 20 years from now just because we needed them. Uh, for uh, the future, so we didn't we didn't lower our standards. Uh, again, we never let uh, that workforce housing inside the city limits. I appreciate the the fact that you mentioned Williston because uh, I used to speak frequently with the mayor of Williston because we sort of looked at y'all as our sister city. And one of those uh, issues that we talked about was the proliferation of the man camps and and what they brought to you there. You wanted sustainable economy going forward, so you really need sticks and bricks. You want things that are going to be there tomorrow. And so uh, just like with Midland, uh, man camps got very little traction, if any, with our city. We wanted to, um, in some ways, take from Williston some of the things that they were successful. One of the things I was really jealous about, I had a 6% unemployment. Williston had a 06 and they were importing employees. They were paying signing bonuses. It was, you know, I was just astounded how they could do this. He said, everybody works in Williston. And uh, we were talking about infrastructure projects where through downtown was, you know, a $60 million project. It was just phenomenal. But we learned a lot from Williston. And that's what Leodora was alluding to before. I know we, uh, uh, at the last Eagle Ford Consortium, we had the senator from North Dakota, the, I'm trying to think what the lady's name was. She was on our, yeah. Our, yeah. And so we've stayed in contact. We get y'all's newsletter and everything. But we, we liked what Williston was doing and the way they were handling things. And so we've taken some of that. And one of them was the housing aspect. Um, and uh, again, the man camps uh, were just not 
part of our future. Perfect. Thanks, guys. Well, um, I think we're about out of time, but uh, if uh, I, I appreciate y'all coming out early in the morning. Can you give these uh, folks a round of applause?